Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff. Whenever you're going to be driving, you blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah, and it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles. That's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent third party, real time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking. Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love, but here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright, and we are still in the midst of our summer of fun. What are we doing in our summer of fun? We're introducing you to some other people besides Seth. That's right. He's still gone.
we have a wonderful stand-in that uh, I'm thrilled to introduce you all to today. Tia Rowe has been practicing law in the Tampa Bay area since 2019, and she is uh, she's here to talk to us about legal research and the appeals process. That Tia, welcome to the toaster. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, okay, so we're talking about, uh, I want to start with research, and I, I think there's a way we can pivot this into the appeals process, because uh, your experience is all across the board, but I think we can tie these things together. The f- first things first, when you're talking about divorce cases, what can clients expect from the legal research effort? What do you do to support clients on the research side? Yeah, so that that's going to depend on what issues they bring to us, if it's just a standard you know, easy peasy, we've done this a million times kind of thing. We're probably not going to do a lot of case law research because we know the we know the case law already. We know the statutes. We know the best interest of the child. I don't need to research the best interest of the child. I know the statute. I'm going to Google it, pull it up real quick. Easy. If you've got a more intense issue or more unique issue, then that's where the case law and statutory research comes in. And that's when uh, Seth will come into my office and say, I need case law research. And so that's that's where I start to dig in. So you when you say case law research, what is that what does that look like? What what are the sources you're going through to actually figure all this stuff out? Basically in our legal system, there's two types of authorities that a judge looks at. They look at case law, which comes from cases in front of judges and specifically in the appeals courts and in the Florida Supreme Court you know, United States Supreme Court, and then there's statutes. So, you know, when you say, oh, my ex-husband broke the law because he got a DUI, he's breaking a statutory law. There's there's case law, but we're looking at the statute. Yeah, that defines something that is like pre-written law, like you can't run red lights. Exactly. The legislature writes those. Okay. So that's when you hear a law that's going to be statutory law. Case law is something called precedent, which basically says... The court has seen this issue before. This is how the court has ruled. And they're likely to rule again in that same way. And so you kind of want to gather as much case law as you can that address your facts or don't, um, but you can analogize. And then you say, look, judge, all these appeals courts and all these other courts have seen this exact same thing. They've ruled in this way. Therefore, you should too. Okay, Tia, you, so if I've learned anything from Seth, it's that he always comes with this air of having seen, quote, it all. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if you can shed a little light on the uh, noted or perceived unoriginality of case law. Like, are you constantly discovering new precedent to cite or are divorce cases pretty similar? Oh, no, constantly new stuff. Um, because so much in divorce law is fact specific, right? I mean, look at the best interest of the child. That's 20 fact issues that you're looking at. So the court will go through and list these facts. And then you're like, okay, my facts are similar, but not quite the same. Can I, can I bridge that gap? Can I convince a judge that we're the same enough for this to work for me or different enough that I don't get screwed over by this case law that exists? So it's really fact specific. Okay. How, so you you said you you're going to look up Google. You're going to look up statutes in Google, right? Like I feel like I could do that only because I know what websites to Google. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So basically, there's like legal versions of Google. Um. Called the big ones are Westlaw and Le- LexisNexis, but like I don't think they sponsor this, so we're not going to use them by name okay. too often. Okay. That's um, right. 
Um, and so that's really where you go more for case law. Um, you can do statutory work there. Sometimes if I'm researching a statute and I want to know the history of it, I'll go to one of those databases and, and do that. But online sunshine is the Florida legislature, uh, statute. So if anyone wanted to look up the best interest factors for the child, you can Google online sunshine and the statute number. And then the Florida Family Laws of Procedure, Rules of Procedure. Sorry, it's like eight words, and I They're constantly often switch them in, in my the head. Same order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are like on Google, but I can Google them in any order and get my same results. Um, <laughs> Google, <laughs> yeah, right. Google knows what what I'm looking for, um, and so that'll have the Rules of Procedure and um, from the Florida Bar website, and so you can you can Google that. Also, very interestingly, Google has an option called Google Scholar, and then you can select a button called Case Law, and you can actually do case law research. The problem is, is you don't know if that case law is still good law. What determines whether it's good law? Whether or not a judge has said, this is no longer what we want to do, it's not good law. So basically, every so often, judges will specifically the Florida Supreme Court, but sometimes appeals courts will get a case and they're like, I know we've done it this way for 20 years, but that just doesn't seem to apply and we shouldn't be doing that. That that's Let's not do that anymore. And so that original case and all the cases that relied on that original case are all considered bad law now because it's no longer the law. Wow. Does that impact case, like past cases that are settled and done? Like I, you know, people have moved on from their divorces and everything. Let's just, those are settled done. But like recent cases, like is there ever a situation where bad law comes into play and while you're in litigation on something that you already thought was settled? Only if the litigation is currently ongoing. Um, so say your divorce was finalized back in 2010, but then someone files a supplemental petition. And very recently, either the statute changed or the case law changed. Now you have an avenue to argue that the case law should apply or that it shouldn't apply. And we should look back at the time that this, the parties were originally divorced. How often does this kind of thing happen? Not very often. Okay. Because All there's right. there's a lot of value in precedent, which is that history of case law kind of following the same vein. Whether for better or worse, you know, if there's really bad case law out there, but no one's ever overturned it, you're stuck with bad case law. If it's really good case law, you hope no one ever overturns it. And you're like, this is great. This is how it should be working. But it's it's up to the judges. Uh, maybe a, maybe we're, uh, this is a little, we'll, we'll call it a sidebar. Yeah. Do you ever run into cases where it's possible to use a case that would actually test bad case law? That's actually a really, really good question. So I have two answers. Like, personally, me, I have run into cases like that because I used to work at the appeals court. And so parties will take facts that they think will will move the needle in the legal world and bring it to the appeals court and say, like, look at these facts. They're atrocious. This law needs to change. So and so on and so forth. But in divorce law, typically that's at the trial level. And trial court judges are not making case law. You have to bring it up to the appeals court before it can become uh, this precedent in case law that we're talking about. So say you have really, really persuasive facts on bad case law. 
in order to change that case law, you know you have to go to the appeals level. And at that point, you're years yeah, in. Yeah, you're going to have to get through the entire proceeding, right? Mm-hmm. In order to yeah, just- you have to go through the trial. You have to then appeal it, hope that the appeals court decides to look at this case law because having worked in the appeals court, they, they'll they look at the facts. And if the facts don't necessarily apply, they can always say, this isn't the question before us. We don't even have to discuss that bad case law. They won't say it's bad case law, but they'll be like, we don't have to even <laughs> discuss X, V, Y. Not, not an issue. And then you've spent time and money and nothing has changed. Okay. So... I imagine I have this the, everything uh, everything I've learned about the law that I haven't learned from Seth I've learned from movies. And so I imagine giant movie moments like you're like the case is ongoing and Seth is making his case uh, in front of the jury and at the very last minute you rush in waving a document or an iPad or something and may it please the court. How often do you find uh, that you you actually are able to conjure up uh, the kind of research to, research that's going to really sway uh, the case? More often than I would expect, actually. Um, so when I'm doing case law research, I like to look at the most recent case law, one, because it's going to cite good case law, and it's also going to have the most up-to-date case law. Um And two, that's where the changes are going to come, right? So like if there's a 2023 case and it's saying, forget best interest of the child, we're going to go in the best interest of the parents. Like, oh my gosh, that is completely life-changing for anyone going through the court process. And like, side note, that's not what any of the case law says. Please don't freak out. It's best interest of the child. Um, But that 2023 case is now going to control. And if that's what we needed, like, absolutely. Absolutely. so more more often than I would expect, and also because I find those cases really fun when you find the ones that are like, you know, why did we do it like this for 50 years? It should be this way. And then you're like, oh my God, the drama. Like what happened behind the scenes to get us here? Because uh, you don't know, you're just reading the opinion. And then I, you know, build the whole drama and soap opera in my head. It's fine. Yeah, of course, it's fine. That's it's what motivates you to keep going, and that that actually leads us to our our sort of mid session break here. I want to hear a little bit about how you how you fell in love with research and the law, and 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 what got you here, Tia Rowe. Oh gosh, this is a nerdy story, super nerdy. You found a home. <laughs> um, basically, in law school, I um, there's kind of two paths you can take. You can either do like mock trial and uh, trial prep, or you can do journals, which is going to be research and writing. So I went the research and writing route because I'd been a philosophy major. Writing was in my wheelhouse. So I was on an international law review. I ended up publishing in that journal as well. Um, and I spent a lot of time just doing research on interesting and kind of weird law. And I mean, if you look at, you know, culture, society, there's this backbone of the legal system that kind of kind of controls in the background. Unless you're a lawyer or in the legal system, you're not really thinking about the law and how it dictates our lives, um, but it's there. So that kind of got me curious of, you know, like how the, how the sausage is made, as I think the phrase. Well, like, as I'm hearing you talk about it, why do I feel like chills running up my spine? Like, I am suddenly so <laughs> paranoid right now. You just made me so paranoid. Why am I afraid to look outside? 
It's okay. Yeah. Someone might be watching. Someone it's might be fine. watching and it may or may not be legal. That's what we're talking about. All right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I really enjoyed what doing that in law school, but graduating, I was like, all right, let's, let's see what job you get. You know, can't really be too choosy on a first job. Thankfully, my first job ended up being at the Second District Court of Appeals for the state of Florida, which is here in Tampa. And that's all research and writing. I'm working for a judge. I'm working for the court. I don't have clients. I'm not representing anyone in court. I'm just researching and writing. And so I did that for, I think it was about two years. Yeah, I just, I learned a lot of really, really good tips and tricks in that, in that role. And so it's, it's like a hunt for me to find the case law that works best for our clients. Okay. So that actually is a perfect transition for you to educate us a little bit about the appeals process and what that looks like. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about it a little bit here and there on the show uh, with Seth, but I, I'm hoping you can, can teach us what it means to appeal uh, your case, specifically appeal a divorce. Like, why might you want to do that? And then how does it work? In Florida, anyone, anyone can appeal a final decision. I'm not going to say final judgment because specifically in family law, that is a very specific like piece of paper. Okay. And things might still happen after that. Sure. In the appeals world, the case basically has to be, okay, rewind slightly. There's always a caveat with everything that I'm about to say because appeals applies to every single type of law, yes. criminal, family, mortgage, administrative, HOA, everything. So generally speaking, to get to an appeal, your case has to be finalized. The court doesn't want there to be motions sitting there while they're trying to figure out this issue and you're still fighting about that issue. It's messy. And as I'm sure many of your listeners know, court cases take a while. Um, and so they they want things to be finalized. Again, typically, you can appeal non-final orders, but that's a much, much harder and higher standard to get into the appeals court. So we'll just go generally, you got a divorce, final judgment, everything's done. So you might want to appeal if the decision didn't go your way and you think that the judge is wrong. So say that we have amazing case law, like you should not be paying alimony. All of the case law says you should not be paying alimony. The statute, a little fuzzy, but... The case law says no alimony. Judge looks at the case and says, all right, you're going to pay 10 grand a month in alimony. Final decision. I'm done. Like, best of luck, guys. So now the judge is it. The judgment itself is in question. Yeah. So the appeals is looking at whether the, the appellate court is looking at whether the trial judge got it right or got it wrong. They're not looking at if you're unhappy. I mean, if the trial judge got it right, the trial judge got it right. And uh, sucks to suck, you know. That's going on a t-shirt, by the way. It sucks to suck, you know. <laughs> sucks to suck, you know. It's just sometimes how the law works. <laughs> Outstanding. Okay. So, so in that regard, like, let's just say I'm getting a divorce. I don't have much involvement in the appeals process, right? I can say I'm dissatisfied. I think the judge was wrong. But that's the end of my ability to participate, apart from paying the bills for my attorney. Yeah. So your attorneys are going to file a notice of appeal. The other side has some time to respond. And basically what your lawyers are going to do is they're going to start writing briefs, which are just essentially essays about the facts, the law, why the judge got it right or wrong, 
and submit it to the court. This this is what I think ties it. This is this is my loose attempt at a segue from legal research. Do you have the opportunity to add new research, new material to the appeal? Yes, actually, you do. Um, so you can say, hey, look at this case that just came out. It should apply here. Is that going to be persuasive? Not always. But would you, what would the judge say if you were to say, hey, look, we forgot this case. We were trying to make this right. We have this other case from 1975 and it should also count. Can you, do you ever find yourself in a position to say, hey, we need a do over? The, the appeal is not a do over, is what I'm trying to get to. No, the appeal is not, not a do over unless the trial court needs that do over. So if the trial court messes up and ignores a case from 1975 that everyone knows, Everyone knows it's in the best interest of the children. And the trial judge is like, I don't know, mom, this isn't the best interest of mom. The appeals court's going to say, no, do it over. You messed up. Send it back. Send it back. Look at this. We're telling the, they sometimes give the trial court instructions like, hey, when you look at this again, make sure you look at alimony or make sure you look at X, Y, Z. They're much more polite about it. Um, So yeah, but you don't necessarily as an attorney be like, oh, oopsie-daisy, this would have gone one way and it should have gone one way, but I didn't make the right argument. Unless it's like criminal, but family law, not necessarily. You're not going to run into that, yeah. Not necessarily. There's always the, you know. Yeah. Talk to me about jurisdiction. How How do you handle jurisdiction going for, is there a specific appeals court for your county? How does that, what do you need to think about? So you don't really have much choice in that. It's, um, so the state of Florida actually just, um, a brand new district court of appeals just, I guess you could say opened. It was, uh, it was started by the legislature. So I think it's now the sixth. Um, but basically it just depends on what county your trial court was in. And it automatically goes to whichever uh, district court of appeal that county is in. So Tampa is in the second district. And so in the second district, it's just going to be who, whatever judge draws the straw to get your case. It's actually a panel of three judges. There'll be a lead judge and then two other judges on the case. And so you'll see opinions that's authored by one judge. And so and then other ones either concur or dissent or it'll just be uh, something called per, per curium, um, two words, P-E-R space C-U-R-I-U-M. Oh my gosh, I haven't actually had to like spell it out in many years. Um, <laughs> you drop Latin on the show digits. and try to spell it. That's an alpha move. I know. What does uh, it mean? So basically it means that all three judges have just agreed and no one feels strongly enough that they need to take the lead in writing it or write a concurrence or write a dissent. It's kind of just like a, yeah, this this is, we're all good with this. And so it just means all three agreed enough that no one felt that they really especially had to put their name on it, typically. Oh, there's oh, there's I other see. strategies behind the scenes for choosing it, but typically that's that's the kind of stuff. If they put their name on it, like what if you end up with two judges who agree and one who doesn't, there's a there's an opinion? Uh Yes. Say you have judges, oh, I don't know, Roe, well, there is actually a Judge Roe, no relation. Um, okay. Roe, um, Nelson, and what's your last name, Pete, right? Right. Right. Okay, yes. so we're all three on a panel. You 
absolutely are like, yes, we need to overturn this. This is crap law. No more. And then Seth is like, yeah, I guess I agree with you, Pete. Like, sounds good. And I'm like, no, Pete, you're completely wrong. What kind of freaking nonsense is that? You're probably going to write the opinion. Seth is going to be like, yeah, sure, I'll sign my name. And I'm going to write the dissent being like, no, Pete's out of his mind. I don't know why he's saying any of this. Totally wrong. But because you have two judges and I'm only one, your opinion gets to be the majority and yours is the good law. I'm just saying my opinion. <laughs> oh, snap. Okay. Nice drama. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I I'm just stirring the pot a little for when Seth gets back. Uh, yeah, right, right. That's perfect. No, well done. It's it's fascinating. Uh, the The whole process is fascinating to me. I, like, did we did I interrupt you? I feel like I hijacked you when you were walking through the process. Is there anything else we need to know? If I'm considering, if I'm frustrated with how the trial went and I want to push for an appeal, anything else I need to know as um, somebody going through the process? Um, just a little bit. So there's something called oral arguments. And they are by choice, basically. Every so often, the court will say, I want oral arguments on this. But otherwise, the party gets to choose. I'd say like more than half of appeals are just on the written briefs. No one does oral argument. You just submit your essays and you know hope for the best. So really, in the appeals, the client is even less involved because you're not even going to court. Your attorney's putting in their brief and waiting to see what the court decides. Wow, hands off. And then if you're unhappy with your appeal, then you appeal it to the Florida Supreme Court and they have the choice whether or not to take the case. Yeah, and what, I mean, what I don't know, it, it feels to me like it would take an order of magnitude kind of shake up in the law to get a divorce case to a Supreme Court state level. You're not wrong. Yeah, okay. All yeah. Right. So. Yeah. If you're thinking you want to fight all the way to the Supreme Court, for your divorce. Just saying. I wish you the best of luck finding an attorney who will bring your case to the Florida Supreme Court um, and look put. you in the eyes and say, yes, we will put. do this. Well, uh, Tia, this has been a treat. It's so nice to uh, to talk with you about what you do and about how you do it and educate us all a little bit in, in the process. Super, super useful stuff. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's... it's uh, I think I mentioned before we started recording that I've done this a lot, but I haven't necessarily discussed it a lot. So it's been it's been fun to kind of talk through the process from an outside perspective. Well, fun for me too, uh, for sure. TRO, thank you so much for hanging out. And thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us as we continue our uh, journey through the summer of fun uh, right here on The Toaster. Don't forget, you can ask us a question com. There's a big button that says submit a question. And now Tia's been on the show, so you can ask Tia a question. And we'll ask Tia back to talk about the answers. You don't even have to ask just Seth. Which is, I mean, we're just freed in so many ways. Uh, it, it's really, really lovely. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show uh, on behalf of Tia Rowe. And you know, you know, he's he's always here. Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, even when he's not here. I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. 
If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.